This podcast series has been made possible through an exclusive sponsorship from SA's number one nano-influencer platform, The Salt. Most brands have a communication line to their existing customers, but not a way to get them to have additional positive brand conversations. The Salt solves the problem by identifying brand fans and getting them to talk more about their positive brand experiences. The Salt have a database of over 140,000 registered brand fans and in-depth information on each to perfectly match your brand to the right influencers. Reach out to them now and see what they can do for you. Hi, I'm Gordon Muller. I'm a guru in the Doc and Guru podcast. Thanks for being with us. For those of you who don't know me, I've spent over 40 years in the media industry in South Africa and uh, pretty much made it my home, my life, my passion. I have other passions, unfortunately, for my sins. I'm an Arsenal supporter and a Shark supporter, so we're going to do pretty much everything on the show as it pertains to media, marketing, and money, but we don't take jokes about Arsenal or the Sharks. I'm Doug Mateus, uh, the doc on the show. Uh, and again, for those of you who don't know me, I've uh, spent 30 years in, in uh, various companies in South Africa uh, running uh, different marketing functions. And the last job I had, I was privileged in, uh, enough to work with a team that took uh, the brand to the fastest growing brand in South Africa in 2018 with a 47% year-on-year growth. So that was a, a great achievement uh, for the team and, and, and I'm really proud of that. Uh, from a personal point of view, I do a little bit of cycling uh, and also snow skiing. So we quite enjoy that. But again, uh, today's discussion is around all things marketing and media. Yep, that's right, Doc. All things marketing and media. No subject too big, no topic too small, no subject too hot to handle. Please get in touch with us on our Facebook page, follow us, like us, whatever it takes. We would love you to be involved with the show and uh, we really want to make it as inclusive and as energetic as I know this industry is capable of. Gordon, how's it going? Yeah, Doc, uh, it's a sobering couple of days, isn't it, really? I think uh, we always try to make light of the world on this podcast, but I think even you and I are feeling a little bit of a burden of responsibility uh, to uh, just, like, tone it down a wee bit, I think, today. Yeah, I think so, Gordon. And, you know, we don't obviously want to prejudice our, our fantastic guest today, who we'll introduce pretty shortly. But I think, you know, just the week that we're in now, I mean, those. I don't want to replay the scenes of of crime and violence when the president was was speaking the other day. I mean, it's just it's 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 times that you hope never to live through. Certainly, in a fairly new, I say, fairly new democracy, and and as a nation, I think we deserve better. So, certainly, I'm not taking sides, but as a South African citizen, I certainly feel I need better and I I demand better of of the institutions, as do many other people from different political parts of of the spectrum. Indeed, yeah, I think, uh, as you say, not to, to dump on our guest today, but um, uh, of course, when you said, you know, scenes of crime and violence, I thought initially you were talking about English uh, football fans at Wembley, but, uh, you know, so I, mean, I think we need to also understand we live in a climate where tolerance and mutual respect, uh, you know, whether it's England football fans or, or you know, or People in Moy River, you know, I think we just, there's, there's a climate of intolerance, which really is something we need to work with. Uh, and within marketing, you know, to use some of those marketing budgets, 
um, to, to start fostering a climate of, of acceptance and tolerance. Um, you know, we, I guess, will talk about uh, brand purpose and brand values somewhere in the next couple of weeks. And, and you know, maybe this is something we should collectively be embracing. Uh, at the moment, there don't seem to be an awful lot of winners out there. But, yeah, I'm going to leave you to, to talk about the exciting stuff because this isn't a really intriguing project we're going to talk about today. So, Doc, I'm going to leave you to do the hard yards. Yeah. Or the easy Same. ones, depending on how you take it out. <laughs> Thanks, Gordon. Uh, yeah, what, you know, we'd like to welcome Bronwyn Pretorius, Bronwyn uh, Executive Head of Marketing at Makuru of Fintech. Bronwyn, thanks very much for your time. We really appreciate you spending with us today. Yeah, thank you so much, Dr. Doug and Gordon, for having me. I'm really excited about today. And I think, you know, let's just get straight into it. You know, I um, have done a little bit of work in the fintech space, but for a lot of our, perhaps our, our listeners out there who are not familiar with Makuru as a brand uh, and fintechs as a space, please just take us through us. Uh, through it, you know, the history of Maku and, and where do you play versus, say, a traditional bank? Uh, and how does that fit into that financial ecosystem? Sure. Um, so we started in, in, in 2004. Our founders are originally African. They're Zimbabwean. And they um, were living in the UK at the time. And they saw that there was a need to be able to send fuel coupons back home from people that had migrated to the UK with family members back in Zimbabwe to send fuel coupons and food and groceries to Zimbabwe. The families that were obviously living there back then. Um, they then created this platform, which was a mobile platform in order for them to create and generate these coupons and send them back to their families back home. And then that, uh, after quite a few years, became money transfers, um, money transfers across 20 countries globally. We also have partners like World Remit that allow us to tap into some of the American markets. So money transfers are the core of what we do, but we peg ourselves as a next generation financial services platform that cater for Africans and the emerging African consumer in order for us to be able to take them up the financial inclusion ladder. We ultimately offer a broad suite of financial inclusion products um, that whether it be from money transfers uh, to a bank card, as an example, we offer quite a range of services in order for our African market to be financially included. So, yeah, that's that's pretty much the, the base of what we do. And that's, I mean, great, a, a great service and uplifting story brought in against you know, our, our leading intro, which is, you know, the kind of the two are, are almost juxtaposed in terms of, of, of where they sit, you know, so that's wonderful. And just one of the other curious things, uh, you know, Bronwyn, looking at your site and preparing for this, I was quite curious to see uh, groceries. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that. What is Makuri Groceries all about? So Makuri Groceries is actually something that our customers have been asking for for quite a long time. Um, and as a business that focuses very much on what our customers ask us, we lots of businesses call themselves customer-centric. We are very customer-centric. Um, so they've been asking for grocery product or a way in which that they can send their families back home groceries. We then, once the pandemic hits in March 2020 in South Africa last year, and realizing that in Zimbabwe at the time, it was very difficult for our customers in Zimbabwe to be able to get product on shelves. It was very difficult. We decided we were going to implement Makuru Groceries. Um, it took us 45 days from ideation to actually product, so have the product ready. And it's been a, a, a really great success. It's, it's, it offers grocery staple products, so from Millie Meal 
to um, oil to rice, all the staples that we believe that a household may need, starting from $20 packs. Um, and then we've also now recently launched stationery and toiletries as well that have, have been added onto the range. Then a few weeks ago, we actually um, launched this product for Malawi. So people that are living in South Africa are now able to send grocery packs back home to their families in Zimbabwe and in Malawi. We've partnered with um, retailers back there who actually pick and, and pack the products for us, for our customers to be able to collect in those countries. That's an extraordinary uh, innovation, I must say. Uh, you know, I'm inclined you know, under normal circumstances to joke about alcohol packs uh, during lockdown, but let's maybe leave that for another day. Um, I, I, I'm really intrigued by, by the origins of this, you know, uh, amongst people who were displaced and excluded from the traditional banking system. Um, and you've emphasized African, but if I'm not mistaken, you also operate in India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, or is that just the card? So... Same sort of formula there, people who've just been displaced or don't have access to formal banking. How, how do you define that? What, what's the sort of cutoff point? So foreign nationals predominantly living in Africa. Um, and then we also have foreign nationals that are living in the UK, as an example, that want to send money back home to Africa or people that are living in Africa that want to send money back home to India and Asia. So the Asian market, including India, Bangladesh, Pakistan and China, as of um, a few months ago as well. So the way we define it is people that have crossed borders, people that have crossed countries, people that have sacrificed quite a bit, um, and Africans predominantly have to sometimes decide to leave their native country in order to make a better lives for themselves and their families back home. So they've sacrificed quite a lot in terms of leaving their home. Um, Bangladesh, Pakistan, um, Chinese, uh, Indians as well that have come to Africa looking for more opportunity um, in order for them to make a living and then share that income with their families back home so that there is something for them to go back to ultimately once they do decide they want to go back to their home country, which is a lot of the hopes and dreams of our consumers out there. So how do you manage risk? I mean, and I have to qualify this question. I've got the financial skills of a hobbit. Okay, so, you know, how, how do you see potential upside where more formal organizations see only risk. What is it? Or is it just because it's African, you, you, you have an understanding of the African psyche? Um, I mean, I'm going to ask the brutal question coming out of uh, Euro football and, and the English fan response. Is it just racism? Is, you know, if, is it because Africans in other countries, particularly in Europe, are just racially profiled? Or is there some other dimension I'm missing? I wouldn't necessarily say that. I think that in Africa alone, it's more than 60% of the international unbanked markets are in Africa. So we have a situation in Africa where we have millions of people that are unable to get access to financial products. That is a problem. And in order for us to educate our customers and educate Africans and be able to take them up the financial inclusion ladder, we as a business find it our responsibility to offer products that make it easier for them to access it. So there are so many, from a traditional banking point of view, I think there are so many hoops in order for people to jump through to get access to financial products. We make it our responsibility and our core in order to offer simplified products so that it's easier for them to get into the financial space. Um, I, I wouldn't pick it as racism, not at all. I can't speak on that, but I do feel like our core and our purpose as a business is to make it easier for 
Africans ultimately to enter the financial inclusion and up the financial inclusion ladder. That journey is ultimately what we want to take them on across various products, across various channels, and simplifying that for them so that it's easier for them ultimately to be able to share their money back home. Remittances is one of the um, uh, means that actually more investment or more money actually goes when it comes to remittances back into African countries than aid that gets to, it's more than aid that enters into oh. these African markets. Um, so it's a very, very important, a very, very important product. And I feel that this product is something that us as a business, we take it very, very seriously. And our customers are at the core of everything that we do and how we do things and how we innovate. We don't just innovate for innovation's sake, which I feel like a lot of the traditional banks have done. Um, they try to sell a product to a customer that doesn't necessarily need the product, whereas we try to cater to a customer need and then create a product that suits the customer need, which is a very different approach to what the traditional financial services sector has been doing for years. Absolutely, Bronwyn. I mean, one of the questions we're going to get to later on, and, and, and we will still, is one of the lessons for marketers. And I think what you just touched on now is so paramount, you know, is not to make a product. You know, when you incentivize a product department, they're going to make products because that's what you're paying them to do. And then they're going to throw it over the fence to the marketing guys and say, listen, why don't you guys go and sell it? And then you're going to give them the sales guys. And that's just, and, and unfortunately, I've been in those circumstances where I've literally said, I've got, I've got a proverbial cupboard of products falling out that no one needs. Okay. Uh, I guess and with big marketing budgets, you beat people over the head until some of them take the product, then you think you're quite cool. The, the, the correct way, obviously, is to find that need, as you say, and work it the other way, uh, the other way in, you know, from the customer in. But I think I'm uh, just taking uh, on a point that, that Gordon spoke about, and I want to just refer people to a particular piece of work that you did two years ago around tolerance, you know, around speaking about the hardships of people and, uh, and just the honesty of trying to make a buck. You know, trying to look after yourself and, and invariably your family. And a lot of that money goes back. So, again, you know, I'd, I'd urge people just to go onto your site and, and to view the, the ad that you did it two years ago. Rami, just take us for a minute, just take us through the thinking of that and, and how it was received by the market. Sure, no problem. Um, so, ultimately, it was at a time that we were looking at a brand refresh. Uh, before 2019, the brand um, slogan, if, if you want to call it the slogan or the tagline, was sign up, send it sorted, which was very money transfer focused. Um, the brand then went through a repositioning and a refresh and decided we're not only a money transfer brand, we're so much more than just money transfers. We offer, we offer a range of services, including a money card, including um, groceries, as an example, also funeral cover, which is another product that we offer. So how do we determine who we are as a brand and not pick ourselves only on money transfers? Um, at that time, we decided to create a TV campaign to tell our consumers that we understand who they are. We understand the sacrifices that they've made. We understand um, all the journey, the journey that they've taken in order to get to a new country, why they do what they do and why it's important. What they do is very, very important for their families back home. They ultimately inspire us as a business and as a brand to also innovate, to also do more, to also listen to what they need from us um, in order for us to be a successful and trusted brand because trust is extremely important when it comes to money and when it comes to financial services. So it's all about us understanding the fact that they hustle, they do whatever they need to do in order to make um, a living for themselves and for their family. 
and they inject all of that energy and that African energy and African can-do spirit into this world that we live in. Um, and that we as a brand, we respect that, we honor that, and we do what we do in order to give back to them. We're ultimately an African brand by Africans for Africans. Yes, we have um, operations outside of Africa and Asia and in the UK as well, but the core of what we do is because we understand the struggle of Africans and we ultimately want to be the brand that supports our customers to get them out of that struggle and to make things a little bit easier for them. So it's all about acceptance and tolerance and, and understanding that just because you're from a, a, an area across a border doesn't mean that you're any different to me as an African. We might be from different parts of Africa, but we ultimately have a very, very similar story. Hashtag no filter. That's how this podcast is delivering real down-to-earth stories told by real people. For an influencer campaign that takes brand conversation to everyday real-life situations, go check out thesalt.co.za. They are the undisputed experts in real influencer marketing. Talking about people from across the border, uh, you know, media is very often the other side of the marketing and advertising border. We are children of a lesser God. We've always known that. But I see you had a year with Aegis Media in 2008. So I've got two questions. What didn't you like about media? Why did it only last one year? And, you know, (laughs) you really alluded to... uh, Part of the solution being television. So, you know, I wear the media hat on, on, on this side of the fence. What what was the media play? How, I mean, have you used social media? Have you used word, word of mouth? Because that intuitively seems the route to go. Just take us through a little bit about the media route you've taken. And then we'll talk about why you didn't like media and agencies. <laughs> and so I love media. I think without media, you can't actually be a successful marketer. Um I feel like media is a very, very integral part of understanding your consumer in order to communicate to your consumer effectively. You need to understand what media actually speaks to them. So media plays a very critical way in the way we communicate. Um, So the campaign that we created, which was very focused around TV, I think TV tells a very beautiful story. Um, What we did in terms of the fact that we have uh, customers from all around the world, but predominantly around Africa, we actually had that TV ad um, created in different languages, including Portuguese for Mozambique, as an example, in Susutu for Lesotho, um, in Chichewa for Malawi. So we converted that TV ad into various uh, different languages. And then in some countries where uh, TV is not a main uh, media form for them, we created a radio ad. Um, we also had a social media that we use to communicate uh, this product. Social media is obviously very, very important and should be very important in every every business's um, marketing mix and go-to-market strategy. So social media is critical to what we do because all of our customers are on social media, whether it's on Facebook Lite or not on Facebook Lite or on YouTube. Uh, we have a very big Chinese audience that's on YouTube that um, love watching, subscribing to certain um people on YouTube so and influencers. So social media plays a very critical part as well as TV to communicate that in a 35, 45 second ad. You always, it's always a more beautiful version of showcasing what your strategy is in, in TV. I, I love TV ultimately. I think that social media has its place, but the communication changes slightly because you're talking to a, a customer in a different mindset. Whereas in TV, I think that you can tell a beautiful story and that's why TV was a very integral part of how we communicated that brand refresh. Yeah, the storytelling uh, is something yeah. which I think creative agencies are rediscovering around the world and there's a renewed interest in uh, television. I'm not entirely sure 
about the 35 second, 45 second thing. I, I think we have to learn new skills to communicate in less uh, than 30 seconds rather than more than 35 seconds. But um, yeah, I, I also am trying to get my head around, you know, some of the points of difference between other um, fintech, um, well, I suppose banking is operation. So, I mean, you've got a whole bunch. There's Yoko, there's Nomanini, there's, uh, I think it's Lululend, something, but they seem yep. to be all directed at small businesses or SMEs. Um, I haven't been able to discern anything else that does, you know, what you do. I mean, Time Bank to a degree offers simplified banking, but it's not the same. And But again, as I said, because of my lack of financial skills, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure of the differences. Can you take us through the differences um, that are out there? Of course. Um, in terms of Makuru, we're an, we have an omni-channel approach. So yes, we're a fintech and we're very much focused on the financial technology side of things when it comes to the kinds of channels that our customers are able to use. So USSD, WhatsApp, web application and app, they're able to use that to what we call create a money transfer order or to engage with us or to transact with us. So I'll take you on a journey in order to send money um, from one place to another. You can create a money transfer order on USSD with, you don't need any data, right? So it's reverse bolt. So it's free to our customers. We understand that data is very expensive in Africa. So we had to cater to that need. Um, then they can create the money transfer order and go pay for it either digitally. So via instant EFT using Ozal, which is another one of our partners or F&B, or they can go into a retail store. So ShopRite, Checkers, Pick and Pay, any of those big retailers pick as well. Pay for it there. So that's where we say you can either be a digital customer or a cash customer. We cater to all different types of customers. Once that order or money transfer has been created and paid for, your recipient on instantly received an SMS, a message to their phone saying that you have been sent money and you can go and collect it. Our collection network is cannot be competed with. In, in my opinion. So we have over 1,000 what we call orange boots and um, branches across Africa um, so that we can cater to the rural recipients living in rural Malawi, rural Zimbabwe, Zambia, Botswana, across over 20 countries. Or if you want to receive it in a different way, that's also possible via a retailer. So we partnered with lots of retailers. We have over 60 partnerships internationally with over 320,000 pay-in and pay-out locations. So our reach is what sets us apart. Um, in terms of the product that we offer, money transfer product, yes, we do have uh, quite a few competitors. However, nobody can compete with our reach. And then we are then able to be, we're a brand that's been trusted by migrant workers for since 2004. Um, brand trust is extremely important and we don't take that lightly. So our customers have trusted us and therefore it's easier for them to adopt new products that we offer in our stable as well, like our funeral cover product or our Makuru card product, which is a way for them to get their salaries paid into their account. So our differentiator is definitely our reach, our trust that we've installed since, since 2004, since launch, and the fact that we have a range of products that cater to their financial needs. Um, so there isn't one specific competitor locally that I can say competes with us, but they are ones that do parts of what we do, but not all in one stable. Yeah, and I guess, you know, you, you're talking about trust, Bronwyn, and it's so important for any brand. And I think, you know, initially when we go back 
to 2004 and around that time. And you start talking about electronic, in other words, in the air, money transfer. You know, some people must be jittery. You know, it's more comfortable seeing the cash and depositing it. And I think that's such an important part of, as you said, building up the brand reputation. Gordon, you touched on it earlier about making sure that if I give you my real money here and somehow you push a few buttons and it ends up somewhere else, you know, that it's got to actually do it. And I guess, you know, that's such an important part of any financial transaction. Roman, just changing tact slightly. I see you on the speakable and a lineup of, of a conference coming up uh, pretty soon in terms of marketing technology. Let's just talk a little bit about that. And I don't know if you want to, if you can, uh, you know, give us a sneak preview of what you're going to chat about. So I can't divulge too much about what I'm going to chat about, but um, the core focus of my topic is data, 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 and how data influences how we as marketers um, define our marketing strategies, how it influences the customer journeys, the customer experience, and how pivotal data is when it comes to marketing and the marketing technologies that you ultimately share with your consumers. Um, I think data is a critical, understanding data is very important for any marketer. Um, in order for you to understand your customers, you need to understand the data. And when you work in financial services, there's a plethora of data. So uh, understanding that and how to interpret that into actionables and actionable insights is very, very critical and very important for you to ultimately be successful and for your strategy is to ultimately be successful. Great. Uh, you know, you talk about cash and money. I mean, for me, you know, I, I was raised by my granny. So my idea of sophisticated banking is a piggy bank. So much of this is completely over my head. I mean, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Feathercoin. I mean, seriously, um, for me, there's nothing like, you know, thick fat wallet in your back pocket, but that's, you know, we're all going to own way around these things. Doc, you're, you're the one with the big fat wallet in your pocket. What is that? <laughs> no, no, not, not really. I've got the small little <laughs> ceramic piggy bank with a few cracks in it as I'm trying <laughs> to get my, my last few cents out of it in today's tough times. Uh, Roman, from my side, as we you know, unfortunately move towards the end of, of our chat, which was, which was fantastic, I mean, you spent a lot of your corporate career in the ShopRite group uh, and, and have no doubt in the hustle and bustle worked across various brands learned a lot of stuff. I mean, checkers today is just, I mean, they, they continue to shoot the lights out. I mean, their numbers are fantastic. Yeah. Their extra savings card, their 60-60, we've seen all that. They just continue to do well. So that was a great grounding for you. You know, there are a lot of those type of companies that when you cut your teeth in those companies, you come yeah. out with a good framework. Take us through a little bit of those lessons that you've learned at, in the ShopRite group that, uh, you know, you apply and is taking you to an executive position today. So I, I don't think there's any, any better place to cut your teeth, like you said, um, than at retail. Uh, retail, the hustle and bustle, your job as a marketer is not only traditional marketing. You get involved in everything from the buying to the distribution um, to how it's merchandised on shelves. So the marketing experience that you learn there is more of a business experience and the business learning that you take from that helps you ultimately to adapt and influence whatever your marketing or marketing plans are. Um, I don't think that people that work in retail can ever have experience that's more hustle and bustle. I mean, the the, the pace is crazy because um, you're turning out products left, right, and center. You're dealing with big teams. Um, you're dealing with, with 
budgets that are are, are decent decent budgets mm-hmm. so what to do with those those budgets the amount of supplies that you work with um so so lessons that i've learned there i think that a marketer's role is not just marketing um a marketer's role is to think like a business owner and understanding if you're thinking like a business owner and it's your business so if your brand is shop right or if your brand at the time i was the shop right or liquor shop or you save or computer or meteorite or whatever the, the brand was at the time think like a business owner and how do you make it a success so it's not only in terms of putting together campaigns but putting together strategies that are ultimately going to improve and increase revenue it's all about revenue generation um and that's something that once i left was easy for me to implement another brand it's not just about mark people always think that marketing is painting pretty pictures or putting together pretty ads that's not that's not what we do it's so much deeper than than that it's understanding the analytics understanding how we're going to increase top line revenue understanding what the profit margins are understanding the customers and how we're going to increase customers so retail is definitely a place to to learn and it was a fantastic place to learn understand lots of different brands different concepts of marketing different concepts of running a business um pricing uh, yeah it was it was fantastic um sad to leave but very excited to to be in fintech today well you mentioned pretty pictures that's your call sign doc no i was going to say pretty pictures that's your call sign isn't that your uh, your handle <laughs> <laughs> It's amazing, but it's amazing though, Gordon, you know, how often, and again, you know, through a lot of people's careers, certainly mine, you know, people, very senior people would actually ask you, like, what do you guys do? And so often the go-to default position of a non-marketing person is advertising. You know, they'd see, they'd immediately associate marketing with the communications part of advertising. Now, we know that there's a lot of other stuff beneath it. But also, you know, in so many companies, and I think we touched on this before in another podcast, the pricing would be done outside of market. You know what I mean? For arguments like distribution, warehousing, uh, in your case, store openings, franchising, in the case of franchises, done in a separate department. And so often that part would also be thrown over that proverbial fence. So again, you know, Bronwyn, just having dealt a little bit of the guys at, at ShopRite, and I don't know the guys well, certainly they have a different view, as you say, business first view. And oh, by the way, yes, that's also a bit of marketing. But when I say a bit of marketing, they define it differently as opposed to leading with advertising, which in many cases is an extension of the ad agents. In other words, if you take that marketing person out, you can just as well deal directly with the ad agency. So yeah, thanks for that lesson. And I think it's such a valuable one for people getting into the space or people recrafting or rediscovering themselves is to broaden those skills uh, and financial skills and data I guess the two of those, you know, that, that a lot of people are not great at, you know, they probably prefer to go to the more creative side of the, of the science of, of, yeah. of marketing. Yeah, Doc, you've summed up, you know, so much there, which really resonates with me. I think when it comes to media, you know, we're starting in the wrong place often. The best media plans, not ones which have a nice media mix or, or which are well grounded in volume discounts, but the ones that flow out of the marketing plan. If you know what the purpose of the media plan is before you start it, the chance of, uh, of, of getting a good return on investment improves, you know, a thousandfold. That's the place to do. So that, that really resonates with me. Um, Roman, thank you. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I've enjoyed the research and I'm aware in the background of all of this, of all these uh, 
partnerships that are forming. So we've got Telcom partnering with Funder, uh, Vodacom with Alipay, you've got Capitec and Easy Equities. There's a whole fascinating dynamic of big and, and small agile players in the data space, which I think, Doc, is something we need to, to get our heads around. It's, it's really, really interesting. I must say, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And thanks, Brahma, for your time. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Ron, we're just in closing. If someone wants to get hold of you, if people want to engage with you, are you on any social platforms that they can reach out to you? Yes, um, definitely. I can be reached out to via my LinkedIn profile, which is Bronwyn Pretorius. Um, and then my email address is bronwyn at makuru.com. Um, yeah, those, that's how you can reach out to me. And then one last thing. I know that you asked um, when we were chatting before the, the interview around uh, just any tips for, for future marketers out there. And something that I've learned um, over the years is that if you're passionate about a brand, it's easier for you to sell it. Um, if you're not passionate, then it's going to be very difficult. So uh, I found that I've always ended up with brands that do something more than just sell product. There's a meaning behind what they do. The, the why is the most important to me. Um, so ShopRite, as an example, was feeding Africa for less. Makuru is that brand that's taking Africans that are traditionally excluded from the financial market, and they're taking them up the financial inclusion ladder um, and giving them opportunities in order to improve their lives, ultimately. So I'm passionate about people and Africans. And if you find something that you're passionate about, it's going to be easy for you to buy into why you're marketing for that brand. And the exception to that rule, if you're passionate about a brand and you still are completely incapable of selling it, chances are you're a Spurs supporter. <laughs> you couldn't, you couldn't exactly. help. I couldn't resist the thread. You were feeding me my lines there. Brother. You couldn't help yourself, Gordon. <laughs> couldn't help myself. No. Rodman, just to close out for my side, big thanks very much for your time. We really appreciate it. It's great. Um, you know, to our listeners out there, again, as we always say, be part of the conversation. Bronwyn's giving you both her email as well as a LinkedIn profile. Reach out to her, chat to her, find out about financial inclusion, etc. And then just in closing, uh, Bronwyn, thanks again. Gordon, just in closing from our side, you know, to all South Africans and Africans out there, you know, uh, as, as a proud South African, let's, you know, come together uh, and let's stop the crime and violence. There's, there can be nothing you know, you can't justify that. No matter where you are, there's got to be a better way. And, uh, you know, we've lost already too many lives just this week alone. So from our side, I'm going to leave you to close up. But to our listeners, on a, on a slightly more serious note, we'll catch you next week. Nothing I can do to add to that, guys. Uh, let's just try and walk together, turn around in the same road, in the same direction, and walk together. We've been there before. We've walked there together before. And, and I'm confident that South Africans are capable of walking that same road together again. So ciao for now. We'll see you next week. And so that was another episode of The Doc and the Guru. Please don't uh, forget to get a hold of us on Facebook. Like us, follow us, uh, subscribe to the podcast. And then from my side, you can get a hold of me on LinkedIn, Dr. Doug Mataz. I'm uh, very active and very keen to hear about your views uh, and certainly will respond. And hopefully we can bring that into the show. Thanks, Doc. And it's uh, Gordon Miller, the guru, signing off. Thank you for being with us and listening into this podcast today. 
you can pick up the discussion with me on my Twitter handle, at Mzanzi Media. And I'd love to engage with you on any of the issues that we've taken on in the show. And take us at our word. This is really going to be an open forum. There are no subjects that are taboo. And we'd love to have some of the younger, more under-listened, if that's the correct phrase, uh, voices to join us uh, in this discussion. Thanks for your time. This podcast series has been made possible by The Salt, the influencer company that turns influence into affluence. In the same way that information is presented in this podcast in a relatable and authentic way, The Salt gets your customers to tell their real brand stories to their community. Go to thesalt.co.za to learn more about how The Salt can help you grow your business.